There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the fourth season of the Wannabe podcast. The podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I'm Imriel Morgan, the founder of Content is Queen, a podcast agency and club for ambitious podcasters with phenomenal taste, high expectations, and a desire to sound as good as I do right now. Wannabe's focus is to help you take consistent action to build a successful life and career in the creative and entertainment industry. In this episode, we are bringing you three phenomenal human beings who I have the utmost respect and admiration for. And they're going to help you feel less anxious and overwhelmed about your money. They're going to help you say yes to the work that gives you joy and no to those that don't. And they're going to help you find your true worth. You are exactly where you need to be right now. First up, I'd like to introduce you to a woman who has shaken the table when it comes to talking about finance in the black community. I'd like you to get to know Kia Commodore, a personal finance guru and the founder of Pennies to Pounds. Take it away, Kia. I am a personal finance guru, public speaker and overall content creator, and I am the creator of the platform Pennies to Pounds. Pennies to Pounds is a financial literacy platform aimed at young people to empower them with the knowledge around their finances that we aren't often taught at school. Right now, I'm currently working on improving and building Pennies to Pounds as a platform. It was born and created in October 2019. Now in January, it has grown so much. On Instagram, we have almost 10,000 followers. On Twitter, we're on 20,000. We have thousands of people streaming the podcast every week. And it's just absolutely amazing. So right now I'm working on expanding and offering more things to people to help them to learn and better themselves. On a more personal level, I'm working on kind of building up my skills that I really have. I've been looking at how to better video edit, kind of things like photo manipulation, all these kinds of things which I used to admire from other creators, but never really took the time to learn. Now I've got a bit more downtime. That is what I'm interested in doing. I really want to just up the content that I create. I can recommend two things that have inspired me along my journey so number one one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is gary v gary v is an insane content creator he literally puts out content for every single social media channel that you can think of every single day without fail and his podcast is just about kind of motivating you and pushing you to reach new levels with regards to your content creation and what you're doing personally and kind of motivating you and showing you how you can actually achieve what he's managed to achieve. He didn't go to university, but he's managed to build up. He's, I think he's like a seven-figure earner now. The second piece of content that's motivated me um, and inspired me personally is Martin Lewis. So he has his Martin Lewis Money Show. He has his website, Money Saving Expert. But him as a person, obviously, it's a bit more niche for me and what I do. But him and just seeing what he does and what he's managed to build and achieve, he started up his website, Money Saving Expert, 
just over 10 years ago now and to see him where he is now he is almost the voice that we have in the UK when it comes to personal finances when it comes to learning what to do with your money he is a person that we look to in the UK I aspire to be that one day for the younger generation I highly recommend following Kia on Twitter her threads are legendary, so be sure to follow Pennies to Pounds on Twitter and Instagram. It'll be the best money decision you make today. Next up, I want to introduce you to Rebecca Sugar. I have been obsessed with her for the last few years. When I put together my top five guests for the podcast, Rebecca Sugar was right there, and that was over three years ago. So if you don't know, Rebecca Sugar is an illustrator, animator, and songwriter. She's most famously known for being the creator of the multi-award-winning Cartoon Network series, Steven Universe. The focus of this conversation is about building worlds and being the architect of your own destiny. So if you're currently working hard to pull off your masterpiece, listen carefully and take notes. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? I always really wanted to be an animator and I really wanted to create an animated show. And so I really looked up to Joan and Vasquez in particular. I was a really big Invader Zim fan. And I right. saw his path from making independent comics, which I was also really excited and into, to making an animated show. So I was really inspired by that. And, and back then I was drawing my own independent comics in, in large part because I saw that other artists had made that path from sort of comics to animation. And when I was younger, I didn't really have the resources to do animation in the way that a lot of younger people do now. I, I did some animations in Photoshop, but I didn't really have access to Flash. And so making comics was something that I could do at that time. Before that, I was really into just any any information about any animator I could get my hands on. I read all of Chuck Jones's books which were around the house. My dad had a copy of books about old Disney animators, like The Illusion of Life. And Was your dad an animator too? Uh, my dad's a graphic designer, and he really appreciated animation. He always liked to have whatever the most sort of hi-fi visual audio equipment was, and he had these laser discs <laughs> of the old Looney Tunes, and we would watch them together as a family. And he would always talk about what the process was because he had read about it. So when I was young, like, even when I was very little, it wasn't magic to me. Like I understood people had created animation. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a version of Beauty and the Beast that is, it cuts between all these different stages of production, which existed on Laserdisc. And that's, oh, nice. that's the only copy I had. So it would be, a, you know, there'd be a scene that's just, that's the storyboards. Then there'd be a scene that's the rough animation, the key animation, pieces of finished animation. And, and to this day, when I see the movie, and it's fully animated and in color. I'm still surprised because I got so used to this in progress version. <laughs> and, and we had, you know, National Film Board of Canada shorts. So, the, so we, I had access to a lot of stuff from a lot of different countries. And I, I understood that animation didn't have to be one thing and that it was made by people when I, when I was like five and six. Like I really wanted to be one of those people. That sounds incredible. And also you're so incredibly lucky to have had access to all of this knowledge and this I guess, library of resources that enabled you to kind of tap into that, which is just rare, I would say. Or yes, have you yeah. met people that were really quite similar who had like a whole wealth of things in, in regards to animation? I guess other animators that you meet, do they come from a similar background or are they all coming into it in very, very, very different ways? Yeah, I think people people come into it in different ways. I think I was also really lucky 
because I, I just had access to all these resources on the internet. And I think that in a lot of ways this is still true, but definitely when I was growing up, comic book stores were not a very friendly place for me to go. And being able and to find... Um, well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very male space. It's uh, not necessarily welcoming to people who aren't already really into comics and have encyclopedic knowledge of comics. It was always hard to find. Eventually, I, I would usually find a comic book store that I could go to where I wouldn't be treated poorly. But that mm -hmm. that was hard to find. And yeah, it, it makes me really sad because I, I've worked with people you know, who had the experience of, of being little boys going into comic shops and having people show them all sorts of, of great and, and interesting comics. And that's not the experience that I had. Your experience. You know, I would that's be, such a shame. you know, shown inappropriate material. I, I would be hit on by the person behind the register that, you know, as like a 15, 14 year old. I wish I could undo a lot of those feelings in the past. And if I could catch somebody at the beginning who's being treated poorly, I just want them to know, you know, that it's that you're being you're not wrong like you're being wronged it's not it shouldn't be like that it really shouldn't I know that you say you're feeling comfortable in your own skin now and you don't have kind of that feeling of something missing today but do you still kind of miss the anonymity that came with drawing or do you still actually think in part you have that I don't know if I get to enjoy that anymore the way that I did before but I think it's healthier I think the way that I enjoyed it before was not healthy I think that I, I enjoyed the fact that when I was making work before people knew who I was, that they would assume that that I was a man. Mm. And I've had to sort of figure out how to separate that in my mind from being, because uh, I'm, I'm genderqueer, I'm non-binary. And so well, there was a part of me that enjoyed that. But then there was another part of me that enjoyed it in a really unhealthy way, which is that there's this idea that if it's not coming from sort of a cis white male, then the work is lesser somehow. It's colored by who you are and in this way that makes it worse. It's very disgusting. I don't even like saying these words out loud, but that was really the, the sentiment at the time. And, and I think mm -hmm. the reason that was is because if people found out you were other than that, they would start to explain what was deficient about your work and say, well, that's why. It's, it's really gross, but it's yeah. definitely what happened to me and unlearning that idea. I mean, it's also hard when every everything you're learning about, so many people in this industry who are not male and who are not white have been erased from history. And so you end up with this impression that the work that you love is all coming from one type of person when it's actually not true. They're, the first full-length animated film was created by a woman in Germany named Lottie Reiniger, or at least the first one that we still have preserved, that has been really covered up, not only because she was a woman, but also because she was German and, and the World Wars happened after. Yeah. And so it's really hard to track that down. People think of Disney as the source of all of that. It's not necessarily true. And then Disney as an environment, and this is true at Warner Brothers too. I think the other problem is that in a lot of cases, women were really kept out of story in, in a systematic way. They were relegated to the ink and paint departments, which is also why those films are so incredible looking because you have these really, yeah. really talented <laughs> artists doing all of the cleanup on everything. And, and it's incredible. Anyway, the point is I had the internet. So 
if I had known what to seek out, I, I would have sought that out to begin with. But I still was able to find, you know, all of this. I, I really like going back and back. And like, if I have someone I like, I like to look at what their influences were. You know, I was like really into One Piece in high school. I, like, I love Ichiro Oda. And you can see... Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you can see his, his influences because he has all these influences. Like, you can see the Tom and Jerry in his drawings. You know, you can see how he's inspired by sort of golden age Disney. Well, same with if you, and then if you go back like to Tezuka, you can see how Tezuka is being inspired by Disney and also by Fleischer. So I like to follow those webs back and back and back in time. This is what, this is what I did online obsessively as a teen. Um, <laughs> just like, who do, who do I like? And then who did they like? And then, you know, that sort of opened my mind because I would think, you know, oh, anime has all these cool crystals and, and science fiction. And then I would be like, oh no, that like French, that's French. Like so much of that is coming from French comics. And all the lines started to blur for me about what's coming from where and it really made me understand that part of that false notion that I had and that rigidity not only is it not true it keeps you from seeing the fact that that there are all these different cartoonists from all these different walks of Mm. life and when they bring something to the medium it goes all the way around the world and then also all these people you know who weren't welcome doing it anyway and really Mm. changing changing the medium in these ways that has these lasting ripple effects and even when they're erased, like you can't erase the visual ideas that they have because they just go everywhere. I can imagine actually, because that's the thing with any, learning any new creative form is that there are rules. Mm-hmm. But I've read or at least heard a few times that in order to do really great creative work, you have to know the rules in order to break them. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that there's a, a, another element to that which is that sometimes you could be breaking the rules because you don't know them. And that might, you might be Mm -hmm. able to (laughs) arrive at some of the same conclusions once you've gone all the way around the block of learning the rules and then realizing that you don't have to follow them. I I feel like that a little bit in my life right now. It's that I spent so long entrenched in the rules and now I'm sort of reaching to casually break them the way that I did as a teenager. And I think it's always, it's always better to know more, you know? Yeah. The idea of, I don't know, I, I can't get behind wanting to be ignorant in order to, like, uh, <laughs> like but, I, but I find, you know, when I look at art that, that does feel naive, but is coming from a genuine place, I love it so much more than art that is an extremely studied display of rules without intent. I would rather see something naive with a huge amount of intent than something mm. with no intent but a huge amount of skill because I really want to hear what someone has to say. And that's just that's just me. Personally, at this point, that's where I've arrived because I've been someone who really worshipped the, the skill thing Yeah. At, above all else. And I used to be someone who, when, when I was younger, I had a teacher who would say like, oh, that, that art has to make a statement. And I didn't like that because I, I wanted to do like commercial cartoons. Like I, <laughs> like I, I was fine with making, uh, I wanted to make schlock and I didn't want it to like have, quote unquote, have something to say. I just wanted it to be like a real cartoon on TV. And then at a certain point, I realized that ev- everything, everything is an opinion. And once I started to realize that, I started to resist that more or resist that less, just the idea of making a statement. And all the ways that that all the ways that that could be flexible, and I think my my resistance to that too was also because I wanted that an- anonymity. Like I didn't people people would put a lot of pressure on me even as a teenager because I you know they perceived me as a woman that I must have something to say about that. Like wh- like what am I going to what am I going to say about that? And I didn't know what to do with that because I didn't really feel like a, yeah. like a girl or a woman. So I d- I didn't know how to express that. I just wanted to 
make cartoons. And I think I've really, I've really come out the other side of that where not only, I mean, it's going to happen one way or the other. I, the, I think it was confusing for me because that's not what I had to say, but the thing you do have to say is going to come out of you. And, yeah. and resisting it is just going to make things a lot more difficult. It also doesn't mean that what comes out of you has to be the right thing. You know, maybe, maybe you have a, a bunch of deep, dangerous, uh, upsetting opinions that you've, that you've never let out of your body before in order to see how harmful they are. And, and you just have to do it so you can take the next step to look at it and say, oh, I really need to change as a person. Then you change as a person. Then you make art about how you've changed. All yeah. of that really can't start until you accept that the work that you're making is a statement coming from you. Does that's, that make, does it make sense? That's a brilliant and terrifying prospect, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Because you are kind of having to confront parts of yourself that maybe you aren't necessarily ready for, especially, that, especially people that are very compelled to just create and create and create. And you're right, it is actually, you're, you're always making a statement. You're always saying something, even when you don't intend to say something. There was something you said about intent that was really interesting and I had a celebrity makeup artist as a guest called Tasha Brown and she likes to do graffiti as like a side but awesome. she was saying what she's learned is that anyone can be a technician you can do something technically very well but that makes you a technician it doesn't make you an artist that was her way of kind of creating the two different spaces in her mind and in her space which I was kind to agree with like you can technically learn to do anything over time but after after a while, it's about what you're expressing and saying and doing that think, makes you the artist. I think it's possible to try to break down what you do or don't like about something without saying that it is right or wrong or good or bad. And that, and I think that I, I'm not trying to say that from a moral standpoint. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that from a, a artistic development and growth standpoint, like like just to clear as many obstacles from your path as possible that are keeping you mm. from doing something you might want to do, exploring something you might want to explore, but like, oh, I don't have those skills, or exploring something you might want to explore, but going, you know, oh, I've done this a hundred times, and, and, and this is just like the thing that people do, so I won't do it, because that's like the rule, and I have to break the rules. Like, all of that is just holding you back, right? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I like the way you put that. <laughs> I was quite interested in learning about the representation side of Steven Universe because it is 
a very, very diverse cast of characters. Loads of different experiences. Stephen doesn't technically have parents. He has guardians, but he has a dad. And there's all of these different family dynamics. And I love that there is an African family represented with their fish stew pizza, which sounds gross. But, <laughs> you know, there's just su- there's such a wealth of characters. And for a show that's, what, each episode's 10, 15 minutes. So you're kind of just like thrown into this world with such a huge range of people that you get to meet in such a short period of time but it's just it feels very normal and I think that is a testament to your ability to create a fantastic story and a fantastic show but also how intentional was the representation or did that kind of come about through iterations and time and planning and conversations Uh, the goal from the very beginning of Steven Universe was was to have it be really unapologetically personal and so a lot of the characters in the show are based on uh, both on my family, like you know, my brother being the main character, but also the families of members of the crew. And when I started the show, I was developing it and co-showrunning it with Ian Jones-Cordy. And so the pizza family is very is directly based off his family. His, his cousins are Kiki and Jenny. They're real people. And he was sort of ex- excited to show first-generation family. And, and so mm-hmm. those themes, like we would find a way to kind of have characters that were literally our family, you know, as as immigrants, we wanted to be able to incorporate that not just in a literal sense, but also in the fantasy. Uh, and so we'd be able to talk both about about sort of ourselves as humans, but then these abstract metaphors for our lives. Ruby and Sapphire are based on on us and our romantic relationship, and the fact that we were running the show oh. together. So so Garnet as a character, you know, Garnet's fusion is as our relationship and the fact that we were show running together as a couple, we were writing about really personal things. And then when we finally got to get to the Ruby and Sapphire stories, we got to actually show a little bit more about like what, what our relationship is like as, as two people when we're not show running. And then some of that, I mean, that was also really personal to me too. The like stronger than you. And and a lot of that stories is based off an experience that we had in our early twenties when we were uh, the target of a, of racist and homophobic assault, which we got away from. But I Thank wanted God. to find a way to write about that in a way that, that could reach kids. And I and I thought about the fact that people, like, that's an experience, that was a childhood experience. Like, my, my experience as a child of, like, anti-Semitism as a Jewish person, like, I wasn't, I wasn't seeing that in the cartoons I was watching, you know? Yeah. And his experiences as a child, you end up with this impression that that's somehow, like, not... Also, my experience as, as, a, as a queer kid... Uh, the idea that that's like not an experience that kids are having is is just not true. So when I started the show and I, and I sort of put this out to the my entire team, I was like, all those details, I want to get them all in here. I want you to feel, I, I want to see all the things that we didn't see. I want to see them on display as things that are relatable to kids. Because I think the, the ultimate statement you make when you don't tell stories like that to kids is that things like that aren't relatable. And when you say that things like that aren't mm-hmm. relatable, it basically means that kids like you aren't kids, like aren't there, aren't, you yeah. know. Because of course that's relatable to queer, like queer kids. Uh, of course that's relatable to kids of color. Uh, the idea that that's quote unquote not relatable means that the only kids that are allowed to relate to anything are yeah. cis heteronormative white kids that and bless them they it's it's great that they have a lot of content <laughs> but um i think you know i realized more and more as i was getting into the show that the absence just the what the absence of that does and and not only i think it also is something that is denied 
to to cisheteronormative white kids the opportunity to relate to other kids. Yeah. The fact that and Absolutely. and I feel so strongly about that with early on too. Like a, a lot of people were really confused. They they would say like you know oh Stephen Humorous isn't feminist because there's a male main character. I couldn't understand like why are we not having a feminist conversation with young boys? Like what like why do you only speak to little girls and you say hey you should feel good about yourself and then you don't tell anyone to treat them better? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, and you know that's why it was I wanted to sort of have it all revolve around my brother because he had been an ally for me throughout my entire life. And I felt sort of safe with him in a way I didn't feel safe with anybody else. And so I don't know if I would have described it that way 10 or eight years ago when I was starting the show. But when I sat down and thought, like, who would I want to write about every day, maybe for the next decade? (laughs) You know, there was a reason that that it was him because, you know, we would we grew so much creatively together. I always felt like I could count on him in this way. I find that completely relatable. Like, you have to somehow be the representative of all of your identities, especially if your identities fall into niche categories or, like, underrepresented communities. So you're either representing all black women or all ex-women or all black gay people. You become, like, this mascot, and it is genuinely impossible. Like, it is the most stifling way to create because the burden and often the responsibility for creating that does fall on a marginalized person's shoulders it's never no one is ever holding other people typically cis white men to account to represent everyone else but we have to represent ourselves and everyone that looks like us at the same time yeah there's a flip side of it by being given that impossible task you know and and being set up to be picked apart there's like a flip side too which is that when you do do something that people appreciate I think for marginalized creators, there's this idea that because you're marginalized, it's just it's just oozing out of you naturally, that it's not mm. a skill you cultivated, <laughs> that it's not something that you studied, that that because you're marginalized, you just can't help but say something brilliant about the way that you're marginalized because it, it's just you're you're just breathing it out. It's a gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll come to me at cons and, and they'll say, you know, you've, you've done this really fascinating study on the semiotics of gender within this within this show and the way it, and all these little details about it. And then they'll finish the question by saying, did you do that on purpose? And it's like, well, everything in the show <laughs> is on purpose. I mean, it's it's an animated show. So we're, it's calculated down to the frame. You know, it's 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 not an accident. But, you know, these are people who like it um who still sort of think uh, I was reading I was reading an interesting book by Ursula Le Guin who was who was talking about how women are often sort of associated with children and animals and and it's and you really see this in Disney as an animator it really set something off for me because it's like every Disney movie is like children and animals and and you know beauty and nature and you know (laughs) that's so funny it's it's interesting because a thing that you can't unsee now (laughs) yes yes it's every it's everywhere and and the thing is that was something when I started Stephen I didn't I hadn't read this yet but I really wanted that to be something that Stephen would get to have that he would have this connection with animals and that you know he would have this connection with flowers and nature and all of this because I was tired of that only being associated with like Disney princesses. I wanted it to be this equal opportunity thing. I mean, why, why shouldn't he get to have that too? I think the idea, especially in animation, people will talk about making timeless media 
which is dubious <laughs> and like you know what when you think when you look at what someone what makes something timeless it's like you know that it exists in this sort of nebulous past european past that but i think it's also you know one thing that's beautiful about tv is the way that it's ephemeral and it captures a moment and i hope that anybody who aspires to make tv or comics or anything won't be afraid of channeling all of the beauties and ills of any given moment in time through themselves as an artist. My cup is so full after that conversation. We actually spoke for a full hour. And if you'd like to hear the extras, then screenshot this episode and tag at Content is Queen HQ in your Instagram stories. Be sure to watch Steven Universe if you haven't. It's genuinely joyful. Follow Rebecca Sugar on Instagram at Rebecca Sugar. You will not regret that decision. Oh, and if you're a fan of Steven Universe or you want to break into illustration, listen back to episodes 23 and 24, where I spoke with Tiffany Ford, the former storyboard artist on Steven Universe. Before we wrap up the show, Karen Tolliver would like to share some soul-stirring advice about your worth. Karen is one of the producers behind the Oscar-winning animated short Hair Love. Over to you, Karen. My name is Karen Rupert Tolliver. I'm Executive Vice President of Creative at Sony Pictures Animation, and I'm one of the producers of the Oscar-winning animated short Hair Love. The worst advice I've ever received falls into one simple category. People making an assessment of my worth, or what they perceive as my lack of worth. I met a very successful black female TV executive at the time who visited our school. She was the first person I met doing what I wanted to do who looked like me. And her advice was, don't try don't come to Hollywood. She said, there's too many people out there. Well, that hurt. Later, when I was in Hollywood, had become a junior exec and thought I wanted to be a producer, my male boss plainly said, oh, you're not a producer. He said, I want to be six foot tall and good looking, but I'm not. You don't have it in you. Basically, he was saying, you can't get there from here. I think the thing that really hurt was both people thought they were helping with their well-intentioned advice There were a lot of things I wish I had said. Obviously, it ultimately didn't stop my career growth, but it definitely made me question my path forward. The real lesson here, of course, is you should never allow anyone to assess your own worth. I'm a nice person, but don't mistake nice for weak. Insecurity is not potential. That has nothing to do with what you can ultimately contribute. And look, maybe that is the point. If that bad advice was enough to sway me, maybe this path wasn't for me. But what's more helpful is when I hear about very talented people admitting that they have doubt. It reminds me that it's okay to be unsure. The best advice came from my father, and it wasn't something he said. Rather, it was something he did, and I saw him do all his life. And that is, if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. When you're doing something different, it will be challenged. People will think you're strange or difficult or just going in the wrong direction. My father was the only black scientist studying neurology in the 60s in Texas. He faced lots of pushback, but he loved what he was doing so much he did not care one bit what people thought of him. It took a long time for me to really embrace that for myself. Of course, you don't set out not to be liked, but setting out to be liked or to fit in, especially if it isn't who you are, is not the way. Don't pursue something creatively because you hope it's going to be well received. That will never work. So don't be deterred by any resistance, especially in this day and age. We need voices that disrupt the status quo if they're going to tackle any of society's challenges. And that's the best advice I've ever had. That's a wrap on episode one. Thank you so much for listening to the end. 
I hope this half an hour has been a calming and joyful part of your day. I'd like to encourage you to think about that one person who needs a little joy and calm and share this episode with them right now. If you want extended interviews, please do screenshot and share this episode in your Instagram stories and tag at content is queen HQ. Until next time. Bye. This is a Content is Queen production, hosted by me, Imriel Morgan, edited by Amber Miller and Joseph Perry, sound design by Amber Miller. Music and sound effects are from Epidemic Sound. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.